Hello, welcome to Media Roots Radio, this is Robbie Martin. Joe Biden is now President of the United States, there was no QAnon storm, well besides the Capitol building siege, there were no mass arrests, there were no martial law orders, there were no National Guard members who were secret QAnon sleeper cells who were going to attack the inauguration. But it appears Michael Flynn's brother was actually involved in resisting the emergency pleas for the National Guard when the Capitol was under attack on January 6th. Very interesting. So I guess uh, he was trying to, I mean, I don't know what was happening there, but um, pretty wild. Weird inauguration. But speaking of Joe Biden, he's someone who's always been to the right of even the, what would be considered even maybe the centrist wing of the Democratic Party, classically speaking. And if you go back to the 90s, he had a lot of very conservative things to say. That sounds shockingly right wing. In fact, he even wanted to shut down raves. Joe Biden in this latest run for president, had a written proposal of how to end violence against women. And according to Vice magazine, it's long, detailed, and ambitious and focuses on sexual abuse survivor support. It would offer material support like housing and grants to people affected by domestic violence. It's a refreshingly survivor-centered proposal in the eyes of revenge porn activists. But for a plan that covers so many issues it's conspicuously missing any mention of sex work. Kamala Harris specifically is someone who sort of sent signaling out during her campaign to run for president that she would be interested in decriminalizing sex work. But the fact is that her history of being attorney general, she actually led a campaign to shut down Backpage, and she actually would call it frequently the world's top online brothel. And she claimed that the site made millions of dollars from sex trafficking. The Nation magazine says that Harris's grandiose mischaracterization led to a Senate investigation and the shuttering of the site by the FBI in 2018. And as her time as Attorney General of California, people have accused her of covering up Oakland Police Department sex trafficking where she refused to intervene in an extremely infamous case where the Oakland PD was caught essentially being involved in an underage prostitution ring in the city of Oakland. Probably one of the craziest stories that I've read about since I have moved to Oakland in terms of local corruption. The reason I'm talking about all this is because we have an incoming administration that virtue signals to the left, but in reality, this even just this Biden violence against women, these new uh, measures that he wants to take on the internet to stop revenge porn, it could actually fire back on sex workers or people who want to post pornography of themselves on the internet. Because a lot of these laws seem to be backdoor ways to just clamp down on sex workers in general and on pornography in general 
by using salacious topics that are legitimate, like child pornography and like child sex trafficking and like revenge pornography, they use those as backdoors to clamp down on all of these things. This idea that it's just the Republicans or it's just the right wing that are the ones who are shutting down things like sexual expression or pornography is not necessarily true. Typically, the left hasn't been very good on this issue, I think, uh, sex workers' rights. But in general, I think people need to put into perspective what's happening now with the censorship in Silicon Valley, the clampdown on content on social media, sex workers, and people who just wanted to sexually express themselves online have known about this concept for a long time because, you know, they've either been banned, their accounts have been taken away, even people who posted breastfeeding pictures on Facebook have had their accounts taken away. So this has been happening for a long time. This is nothing new in that department. But to help sort of unravel some of these issues and kind of discuss why I believe that the left should focus more on this and you know why maybe even some leftists should take a cue from the way libertarians uh, see this issue because I see some better stuff in Reason Magazine than I do from a lot of stuff in left alternative media on this issue, which is a shame. But to help me do this, I have a very special guest on Media Roots today, and her name is Dr. Susan Block. There's just no proper way to sum up Dr. Susan Block's career. I'm going to try anyways. She's a published best-selling author, a bonobo conservationist, the founder of The Bonobo Way, a practicing sex counselor for 25 years, was the winner of the Glennie Sexologist of the Year Award two years in a row. She's a sexual workshop instructor, a TV show host, who had the police arrive on set during the taping of her show twice. And she's also a filmmaker and a columnist. I first heard of Susan when Abby was invited as a guest on Susan's show. And because of that, I, I could make the assumption that she probably had good politics <laughs> as well. But a little later, I happened to catch an incredibly insightful and also pretty hilarious article in Counterpunch about basically the deep sexual recesses in the minds of these MAGA supporters. And she specifically delves into Roger Stone's history of placing personal ads in Swinger magazine, specifically one ad that was asking um, for a, a black man to have sex with. I don't know if it was his wife or his partner at the time, but um, and had an element of cuckolding in this personal ad. And I think you also delved into Paul Manafort's leaked uh, family text message exchanges. Is that, am I getting that correct? Yes, yes, absolutely, <laughs> Robbie. It's true. A lot of the MAGA people are into some pretty wild, kinky activities. It's very interesting how sexuality rears its head. <laughs> and so you, you do delve into sort of like what, you know, where this term derives from. I think, I don't think you go too deeply into that in your article, but 
you you know you explore the psychology of why it might be being used and it's the the term cuck of course has just become this sort of weaponized insult in the Trump era yeah i don't think most people realize that they're actually that people who are like key allies and surrogates of Trump's are actually into cuckolding as a sexual activity. Yeah, I don't think they do either, unless they read Counterpunch or my own site. But in any case, they should know that cuckolding is an extremely common activity for everybody. I mean, let's just say this. First of all, cuckolding, just in case you don't know, is uh, an interest in watching a woman, maybe your wife, maybe your girlfriend, maybe just a woman you desire, or it could be a man because there is gay cuckolding, but it's an interest in watching uh, someone you desire uh, being uh, having sex with another person, usually a man, but not necessarily. So let's just say whenever anybody watches porn, regular porn, you know, they're being cuckolded because you're sitting there watching while somebody you desire, usually a woman, but not necessarily, is having sex with somebody else who usually is, uh, let's just say, more endowed than you, has a bigger penis. So, you know, because porn usually has big penises, you know, that's part of the (laughs) excitement. Uh, So, yeah, a, a lot of people are being cuckolded all the time, every day. And uh, and that's just through porn. There's also just fantasies, just thinking about it. Just it's just so common. I can't I can't tell you how common it is. But at the same time, not everybody calls it cuckolding. And uh, and then there are many many different kinds of cuckolding. When I counsel people in my private practice as a sex therapist who are interested in this, I try to encourage them to do. kind of consensual, non-humiliation cuckolding, which is really a variation on swinging or polyamory where you're just kind of sharing your partner with somebody else and your partner's going along with it and everybody's happy and everybody's respectful. Uh, But I must say there's a lot of porn on the Internet that emphasizes humiliation. Of course. and and it could be anybody that's being humiliated. It, it's usually the cuckold that's being humiliated, but it could be the, the woman who's usually called a hot wife, or it could even be the bull. And the bull is usually the alpha male, and very often in our uh, very racist society that we live in, uh, that is represented by an African-American male. Could be other races, but that seems to be very popular. I'm sure people who are familiar with cuckolding have heard the term blacks on blondes. So there's this already this racist tension going on that you could interpret as worshipping the black male, or you could interpret it as objectifying, or you could interpret it as both which kind of is what I do. I kind of see all sides of it. In any case, this easily leaks, so to speak, over into the social and political realm where uh, people are turned on by the, uh, the bull, the alpha male, as well as threatened. And the racial circumstances, uh, of course, have an effect. And, uh, and so the term cuckold or cuck becomes an insult. It's absolutely fascinating. 
And you broke it down beautifully there, Susan. Thank you for doing that. My pleasure. And there's there's sort of an interesting association with not just, well, I mean, I guess the conservative movement at large, because I guess it shouldn't be a surprise to people that conservatives in the Trump movement who are high up, people like Roger Stone and Paul Manafort actually practice cuckolding. And, you know, there's an evidence trail, there's a paper trail of it. Um, I guess we just found out, you know, some pretty wild things about Arnie Hammer that, that came out in like tabloids, which is, you know, I, I won't go into that here, but it's not, it shouldn't surprise anyone because the conservative movement, you know, just homosexuality in and of itself has been used by a weapon to try to ruin yeah. people by conservative, you know, by the conservative movement at large via the Republican Party. And there's so many closeted gay Republicans. I mean, that's always sort of been the case. Um, Roy Cohen mm -hmm. being a, a, a good example of that, that's sort of associated with the Trump movement. Stone, you know, is apparently responsible for sort of revealing the Elliot Spitzer prostitution thing. And so these people sort of have a history of weaponizing uh, sexuality in a way, you know, that's, that's, that meshes with this dirty trickery, you know, politicking. And that, that's kind of interesting in and of itself. Well, first of all, I just want to say that I, I'm a big fan of consensual cuckolding and all kinds of polyamory and swinging, but the key word is consensual. Yeah. And Paul Manafort, from what I understand, and I'm not his therapist, and if I was, I wouldn't tell you, but I'll say <laughs> I'm not. But uh, he apparently coerced his wife into having sex with African-American men, and uh, that's not nice. You know, that's, that's not cool uh, if you're coercing someone into it. And uh, I feel that uh, a lot of, um, I guess, I don't know, I'm not going to just say Republican because it's all kinds of people, but they tend to be right-wing religious oriented people uh, tend to see all sex as bad, you know, unless you're just doing it to procreate uh, with someone you're married to with the lights off. Mm -hmm. So if all sex is bad, then, then e even, you know, uh, coercive sex is bad too, but it's not that bad because all sex is bad. So, yeah. you know, it doesn't really matter to them. So they'll use anything as a weapon. And certainly sex is an easy weapon to use, especially when a lot of your uh, audience is religious. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And just so people listening know uh, what you're referring to, I think it, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, I'm pretty sure it was the, the children talking to each other in text messages, the Manafort kids yeah talking about how, daughters yeah mm -hmm. they were worried about their mother being you know pushed into this by the father and how she was doing it too much i guess she was also being given you know he was also giving her drugs of some kind of ecstasy i don't remember exactly the details maybe you can fill some of those in but um it's mm -hmm. it's pretty <laughs> Would you uh, like to know the details <laughs> uh, yeah i guess go, go through a little bit more because this was something that people had complained about wikileaks not leaking i remember people were like why did wikileaks leak all this stuff about hillary but not you know trump's people why didn't they leak all these text messages so maybe give us a little bit more details about well i guess there. you know <laughs> you can't always control your leaks in sex or politics you know <laughs> so uh yeah um according to what I've heard in the news. Um, I don't have any inside information here. But uh, the Manafort daughter's texts 
revealed that Papa Manafort was an avid interracial cuckold who uh, coerced his wife into participating in group sex with multiple men. Now, it's very possible that she was into it sometimes and not all the time, and he pushed her to do it when she wasn't in the mood. That's not nice, and his daughters were upset about that. It's also possible that his wife, Kathleen, uh, who... Uh, you know, when she found out that her daughters found out about her cuckolding, uh, she felt embarrassed. And she says, well, I'm not into that. I just do it for your father. I don't, you know, and that's a, you know, I, I got to say, even though I am so not a fan of Paul Manafort, I got to say, sometimes the partners do say this. People are constantly revolving around denial in the world of sexuality, especially when it comes to talking about it with their children. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really not sure how coercive this all was. The daughter's texts back and forth seem to indicate that it was very coercive, but I don't know. You know, after all, the wife was there sitting in court while he was on trial all the time. She seemed to be very much his his fan so i'm i'm not sure whether he really did coerce her or she just said that so that she would appear to be less of a slut to <laughs> her daughters <laughs> yeah i mean and it seems like uh, some of the themes of what you've been saying so far is that there is a very important distinction to make between coercive any kind of sex versus completely consensual sex and also like having healthy communication. I mean, if I, I guess for yeah. me, it's hard to picture someone like Powell Manafort having a healthy sexual communication with his wife. I can picture him being the cuckold in this situation and pushing her into this sort of kind of nudging her to do it. But it's hard for me to believe him being like a articulate sexual communicator is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, it depends on his therapist, I guess. Sure. Uh, yeah, probably not. He probably wasn't. But I can tell you this. I, as a therapist, have helped many people on all ends of the political spectrum to communicate about sex. It is not a question of being liberal or conservative. It's a question of being willing to communicate. And even super religious people can do it. It's It's just, you know... Do you, are you motivated enough? Are you willing to take that step into opening up, into really listening to your partner? Uh, I, it doesn't seem like he did, but I don't know. Uh, on the other hand, we have Roger Stone, who I don't think he's had a problem with his wife. I, I guess they happily do cuckolding. Now, so he doesn't need a therapist to help him communicate with his wife. They seem to be able to do that. But what he does is he weaponizes it, and that's a case of typical, you know, right-wing hypocrisy, where behind closed doors, whether that door is green or black or blue or red, they are uh, doing the things that they make fun of or they denigrate in public, and that is very, very uh, poisonous for society. Yeah, absolutely. And there's another angle that you've talked about sometimes on Twitter, this idea of sort of this amosexual, you know, bloviating masculinity, like the Trump, 
you know, I don't know if you know, it, it's, it is, there is sort of a sexual aspect of it and I want you to explore that, but just sort of this like pre- the proud boys masculinity plays into it. This sort of like the shirtless Roman, you know, um, war- Spartan warrior, like the guys who dress up, like even the QAnon shaman. Right. I don't know. I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but considering this sort of amosexual ejaculatory events uh, on January 6th, Susan, mm-hmm. I mean, how are you, how did you feel about that in general? I mean, because I know you wanted to discuss this and what was that like for you seeing that all go off like that? The insurrection orgy? Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, baby. Uh, I mean, it was, it was, it was strange. You know, I wake up, I see these pictures, I think, huh, they look like cosplayers. They're, you know, a guy's wearing horns, the, the shaman, and I like to wear horns because I'm a big fan of Pan. Pan is the uh, patron saint of the bonobos who are called Pan Paniscus. We'll talk about bonobos later, I hope. Nice, yes. But in the meantime, I love horns. I love furries, you know, people who dress up as animals. And I, 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 I don't know, I, I like cosplay. I like role play, uh, LARPing. And that's initially what it looked like. Um, then I start to see, oh, wait a second. Uh, these guys seem to be friendly with the police, so they're letting them in. Oh, now they're doing damage. Oh, it's not just uh, breaking windows. It's 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 really violent, like trying to kill people. Oh, and they brought a noose. And then I see this is really uh, an orgy of violence. And um, I I gotta say, uh, there must be a lot of sexually frustrated incels in that crowd. There's got to be uh, a lot of uh, daddy fetishizing maggots and uh, people that um, are self-hating cuckolds. You know, they're, they're just cuckolds because, as I said earlier, it's a natural way to be. A lot of people like the idea of watching somebody have sex with somebody they like. Sure. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're constantly told by Roger Stone type people that you're a cock and you're you're inferior and then you feel bad about yourself if you're constantly told that you're bisexual desires which I think most people have and certainly these guys have uh, then you feel bad about yourself you, you don't want to be gay oh my god but here they are rubbing against each other I mean it, it was disgusting I have to say and I'm open-minded about fetishes but uh you know they're 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 beating this uh this police officer and they're they're against each other so close the mob is so close it was like an orgy like a a, a cuddle puddle but they're not cuddling they're uh, they're they're doing great terrible acts of violence and uh my feeling is there aren't very many basic instincts in uh, in us humans. There are a few. We have an instinct uh, to survive, to eat, to breathe, to have sex. Uh, I don't know that violence is an instinct, but definitely violence is something we often channel our sexual instincts into. We channel our desire for sex into violence, especially when we feel that sex is bad, especially when we feel that our sexual desire to be with members of the same sex or to be cuckolded or uh, to 
just have sex outside of what is uh, prescribed by our religion, then it, it's, it feels like violence is better. And violence is encouraged by our society, by our president, certainly. Uh, you know, uh, hopefully by the time this interview is on, it will have a different president. Uh, but in any case, even any president, uh, let's just say all presidents yeah. of the United States encourage violence yes. uh, through the, the glorification of the military, through the glorification of the police. Uh, violence is seen as something somehow pure and wonderful. And, uh, and certainly religions gl- glorify violence. The Bible glorifies violence. Sure. So is it any wonder that we have so many lost boys in our society who are channeling their natural sexual desires, perverting them, I would say, into violence? And in this case, it was a mob violence. Listen, I'm a big fan of orgies. Uh, I miss them in the corona apocalypse. I can't have no <laughs> yeah. orgies no more. You know, uh, I love my husband, though, so I have great sex with him. But I also enjoy the, the feeling of group sex. And I think uh, human beings, uh, we, we used to do that. Uh, and, and I mean, some human beings still do that. But I think we, we used to do that a lot more in uh, hunter-gatherer days. We, we'd have, you know, there wasn't this, uh, oh, there, there weren't rooms, so people would have sex in the open, just like bonobos do. And I think we miss that. And it's sometimes, uh, you know, we can channel it into going to concerts or sporting events, um, clubs. Uh, and I would say that's not the same. But also, I would say in the corona apocalypse, we can't even do that, uh, at least those of us who are responsible. So, of course, you know, we're, we're like powder kegs, all of us. And these guys, they're encouraged to express themselves through violence. They're all sexually frustrated, I'm pretty sure. And so here we have this horrible orgy of violence in the people's house. And I wanted you to, to comment on something that I don't think you touched on on the Counterpunch article, and I don't think that you've talked about on Twitter, at least maybe you mentioned in passing, but there is a very strong sexual component to QAnon, which is not entirely to blame mm-hmm. for what happened. Um, obviously, there were a lot of different things that went into it, but it was, it, I think it did play a, a fairly large role in some of the hysteria. Now, there, I mean, I don't know how deeply you've looked into QAnon, Susan, but it's basically, in a nutshell, all about that there's a secret pedophile elite that Trump is fighting a shadow war against. And this pedophile elite also engages not just in child sex trafficking, like the business of it, the business end, and they enjoy having sex with children, but it also involves things like that they cannibalize, they eat children's brains, they get high off their Ooh. adrenochrome. It gets really dark. And I'm wondering, and, and you know, that's a pretty normal view in general now within even the MAGA movement. They have this general mm-hmm. belief that the left are actually made up of these pedophile elites who eat children. Now, I just, <laughs> I just want to know what you're... It's hard not to laugh. It's so strange and so silly, and yet you're right. It is very real, and it, in terms of there are people that seem to really believe this. I, I don't know if they really believe it. You never know what's inside of people's heads. Uh, but I do know that our society... Uh, sexualizes children and 
forbids them from being sexual and forbids anybody from thinking sexual thoughts about them or expressing sexual thoughts about them. So, yeah, there's, there's a, there's a, a, a it's, it's like a powder keg of, uh, of, of thoughts about children and accusations of pedophilia. Any kind of accusation like that is, uh, is, is just like a death sentence. And, um, by the way, just because someone is a pedophile doesn't mean they're a child molester. I just want to establish that. I counsel a lot of people, and I figure this could get me in trouble with some people, but I counsel a lot of pedophiles who never touch children. But they have fantasies, and they talk to me about it, and they might do a role play with an adult person who acts like a child. And so, you know, I don't feel... I, I'm always cringing when I hear about pedophiles because all that means is someone that finds children appealing. That doesn't mean that they hurt children. That doesn't even mean that they touch children. Someone that hurts children or touches children is a child molester or a child rapist or something. So, yeah, they are doing this. They're, they're, they, they, I mean, it's a button pusher. You know, just about everybody <laughs> is against uh, adults having sex with children. I think everybody's against that. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to say, I'm against that. I, I don't think that, that and, and, and that's called pedophilia, even though I'm nitpicky and I say, well, that word doesn't really mean that. But they think of it that way, that if you're called a pedophile, you must be having sex with children, and therefore you're, you know, more evil than a mass murderer. And uh, so they're, you know, appealing to that. And at the same time, they're appealing to what I'm sure are a lot of pedophile fantasists among them, because I know there are a lot of them <laughs> that do have these fantasies. And they figure, if I have these fantasies, then other people must be doing this. And there's a mixture of jealousy that these other people are doing this and anger that they're doing this. And, uh, and, and so they're appealing to that. And then there's the whole Trump daddy uh, fetish yeah. that a lot of them have, and, and that goes beyond QAnon. Uh, the Proud mm -hmm. Boys have it. Uh, I think, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Miko, the, the guy that's got the kind of Greek name. Milo <laughs> that, Yannopoulos? Yeah, yeah. Milo, he hasn't been in the news too much lately. <laughs> but I remember when he first was talking about it, and I went, oh, yeah, of course. You know, this is why uh, a, a lot of people love Trump is he's the bad, mean daddy that turns them on, that turns them on to see this daddy that's going to punish either them, maybe if they're submissive and they like the idea of being spanked, or if they're more voyeuristic and uh, punishing, they like the idea of punishing other people. And I think that this whole QAnon uh, kind of fantasy world plays into all of this. Listen, I'm a big proponent of enjoying our fantasies. I, I really am. I love to play in the erotic theater of the mind. And I think it's important that humans do that sometimes. Um, when we masturbate, when we have sex even, you know, you share fantasies, you can talk about it with your partner. There's lots of things that turn us on that we shouldn't do. And that we don't need, maybe we could do, but we don't want to. And so fantasy has an important place in our psyche. And uh, yet, you know, you got to 
know the difference between fantasy and reality. That's, I guess, where things like science come in. And, of course, QAnon doesn't trust science. And they're playing on a lot of their followers' religiosity. Uh, mostly, I guess, it's evangelicals, but different religions. I would say, you know, the uh, Orthodox Jews certainly don't trust science at all. Um, certain, I mean, they're not trying to appeal to Muslims, but, you know, Muslims have a pretty hard time with science, too, although kind of not as much as the Judeo-Christian uh, fundamentalists. The fundamentalists have a big, big problem with science. So, it play, plays right into the whole QAnon fantasy world. It's, it's like the Bible. You know, you make up stories. They sound kind of interesting and compelling, and, and there's good and evil, and, and you can get right into it. Hypocrisy. <laughs> there's definitely almost like a Dark Ages um, sort of Inquisition-y aspect to the, to the sexual themes that are at play in QAnon, I feel... And just also touching on something about this, the the masculine repressed sexual rage <laughs> that was like boiling underneath the uh, this uh, siege on January 6th. I mean, the mm-hmm. Washington Monument itself is, is a blatant phallic symbol. It's designed as an Egyptian obelisk. It was meant to be the tallest one ever built. I mean, that just yeah. that symbol in and of itself ha- holds a certain kind of energy and symbolic power. And it's just... I don't know. I mean, there's just so many weird sexual themes intertwined with the Trump era in general. I mean, Epstein, you know, is probably one big reason why there's so many sex trafficking and, and, um, you know, molestation conspiracy theories involving politics now. But that made me think of something. I just want to just just say, you know, the whole idea of breaking in to the Capitol. The Capitol is sort of this sprawling, round thing, and it's sort of womanly, right? And we got a woman that's the Speaker of the House, and they're breaking in like tough guys. So, yeah, I think it, it was a, an act of, uh, of rape. Following all this stuff, there's another whole angle to this, and a lot of people are having this debate right now, which is this idea of an Internet crackdown. You know, some people are calling it the big tech crackdown yeah. or big tech yeah. fascism. and You know, one thing that I keep seeing uh, Connor Habib bringing up is this idea that, well, where was the left when it came to, you know, the Internet crackdown on sex workers? And this is something that it's only when Donald Trump's account gets taken offline does everybody all of a sudden want to have this, what I think is an important discussion. I mean, I'm just personally speaking, I think it is in general probably a bad idea to push these MAGA people into totally another lane of the internet i i don't i agree i I think it's going to actually have a a huge probably backlash it's going to it's going to make them just feel so victimized even more so than they already do whatever their delusions are about how they're victimized so i guess what i'm asking susan is how do you feel about this because your your show just your television show was visited by the police twice and yes. I, God knows how many times the police were called on your show, but you are completely familiar with just how much the law itself just cracks down on what, you know, the field you're in. So, like, what is your take on this? And where do you think this breaks down in terms of why isn't there more outcry from these, you know, people saying that censorship is coming for us all when it comes to sex workers' rights and just sexual expression on the Internet? Like, 
you don't even necessarily have to be a sex worker to post a video of yourself online, you know, doing a, an obscene, quote unquote, obscene act. So how do you view that? Wow, there's a lot of stuff there for me to respond to. And uh, let me see if I can try to address most of it. First of all, I just want to say, yes, I was raided by the LAPD uh, twice. And uh, the second time I sued them, they didn't charge me with anything. I think they were sexually frustrated, frankly, and they wanted to see what was going on. And uh, they saw that I wasn't the madam that they thought I was. I was just doing my show. Uh, but I do have porn stars on the show. Uh, that night I had Ginger Lynn on, <laughs> and uh, they were big fans of Ginger Lynn. Um, it was, it, when I think about it in retrospect, it was funny, but uh, it, it is funny. But it, when it was happening, it was harrowing, telling me, stop the show and holding guns on me, and then saying, now do the show and holding guns on me. Uh, so it was, it was very harrowing. They were searching for something, never found anything. I sued them. And I won a very nice settlement, so, so thank you, LAPD. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I know what it's like to be in, invaded and to have my Fourth Amendment, Amendment rights infringed, uh, as well as First Amendment. But uh, I think that's why I don't like the idea of Donald Trump or anyone being censored. Of course, I know that Twitter isn't run by the government. And so that's why I don't put all of my own content on any platform besides my own. I learned that early on in like the 1990s when I talked about masturbation. This was just writing about masturbation and how it's important to do. And, uh, and, uh, and I had a picture of bonobos having sex and I was banned from AOL and I I, I realized, oh, uh, this is not, the internet is not free. It's, I mean, yeah, in general it kind of is, but these individual platforms are owned by people or corporations that can stop you. And so you have to do your own thing. Um, but even that is under attack. And uh, I, it's, it's very sad to see that a lot of the attackers are liberals, are Democrats, uh, people that maybe uh, a lot of sex workers and sex positive people feel are supposed to be our allies. Well, they're not. At least a lot of them are not. Uh, there was a law passed a couple years ago uh, that they call SESTA-FOSTA. Yeah. And uh, that is uh, short for Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. That's SESTA and FOSTA Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. Uh, it was kind of hilarious in a sad way that, of course, a president who had lots of sex with sex workers and paid them off to keep quiet signed this thing. Uh, but at the same time, it was passed in the House in a vote of 98 to 2. Um, now, the titles of these bills sound very worthy. Who doesn't want to stop unsavory pimps from forcing underage girls and boys into prostitution? So SESTA-FOSTA doesn't do a damn thing to stop sex trafficking. It does do a lot to harm adult consensual sex workers and their clients. Um, and it drastically curtails the freedom of speech of all Internet users. As you were saying, 
you know, sex workers aren't the only ones that like to post something sexy sometimes, something, as they say on these platforms lately, suggestive. That's what's now considered, you know, kind of, it could get you in uh, Facebook jail or, uh, you know, shadow banned by Twitter or kicked off of Instagram uh, if you do something suggestive. So, uh, you know, that's, that's already there and that is pretty horrible. Um, but now they're going to, they're considering this other bill to make it just a little more horrible. It's called um, Stop Internet Sexual Exploitation Act, uh, CISIA for short. And yes. it's uh, been proposed by a Democrat, uh, Jeff Merkley, a Democratic senator from Oregon, who thought Oregon was a cool state. Well, I don't know. Uh, and then Ben Sass, a Republican. Um, where's he from? Nebraska. So it's, uh, it's a reaction to a report that was done uh, on um, non-consensual and revenge porn. Nobody likes that. I mean, people like it. Let's just say nobody's for that. <laughs> uh, nobody's for this kind of porn, which is done uh, tricking people to be in porn and then using the trick to make them do more porn. And uh, it's, it's very bad. And so some of that was found on Pornhub. Yeah. Uh, and Nicholas Kristoff wrote in collaboration with a Christian anti-porn group called Exodus yes. City yeah. an article about this. And, in the New York uh, Times, right? Yeah, in the New York Times. And so, you know, very respectable and everything. Everybody believes it. Everybody believes that Pornhub is basically a sex trafficking hub. Well, you know, it's not. It's, it's, I'm not going to, I'm not a, huge fan of Pornhub or anything, and it's another corporate greedy uh, entity. But at the same time, there's a lot of sex workers that use Pornhub to make their living, and they're totally consensual. They're honest, hardworking sex workers. And uh, sex work is real work. <laughs> That's a, a saying that we use. And uh, it's so. so this kind of legislation just forces all these people to do all kinds of paperwork that's very difficult to do. If you want to use a clip from something you did maybe 10 years ago, you can't do it because you can't necessarily get all the paperwork together. Um, You, you know, there, there's, there's so much uh, red tape that's put in the way. And it also encourages various platforms that might not be as powerful as Pornhub encourages them to just, completely uh get rid of the sex workers get rid of all the sex because they don't want to be responsible there's also this this whole issue of liability uh you know uh, these bills want to make the platforms themselves liable if some revenge porn company uh uploads some of that onto their site and it's not enough for them to eliminate it they have to also be um, prosecuted according to these bills. And I have to say that our uh, new vice president, um, Kamala Harris, who I like in a lot of ways, uh, she has prosecuted sex publishers for years, especially when she was district attorney in California. And 
Uh, she put Backpage out of business, which yeah. really hurt a lot of sex workers. Now, the good news is that Cecilia died in committee a few weeks ago. Woohoo! Oh, that's great but news. They're bri- but they're bringing it back. All right? Nobody wanted to sign up for it. Nobody voted for it. Everybody was busy with other things like, uh, you know, hiding under their chairs while, you know, mobsters come in. But no, they didn't vote for it. But now they're bringing it back. They just hope that they're going to get the votes, and maybe they will. Dangerous. Yeah, and even if it doesn't pass this time, they're going to keep. They're going to be different iterations of them bringing it back again and again. Because I think this is definitely there's definitely some kind of new push for a war on pornography in in some general sense. It seems like, and you know, it's it it wasn't the the Sesta Fostas thing was about. Um, you know, personal ad, it seemed to mostly affect personal ad website, like Craigslist took down their entire personal section because the law yeah. was so all encompassing. It created this gray area where it couldn't be defined specifically what was, you know, considered uh, whatever they were specifically looking for. So I guess, you know, there's been real impact from this in, in the sense that I think Visa and MasterCard, maybe MasterCard reneged on this since they said it, but Visa is still not processing uh, payments That's from true. Pornhub, and it's it just only took this one article from Christoph, and it's so shitty because in the article, I mean, you don't even like I didn't even know that he co-wrote it with a Christian group. That's wild. But in the article itself, you can just tell that he's sort of deliberately blurring the line between consensual and non-consensual acts. Like he's conflating things that are blatantly illegal um, mm-hmm. with things that he clearly just doesn't like, like the idea of teen porn. I mean. Christoph may be offended that people who are 18 years old are can consent are legally in porn movies, but he's he's sort of just creating this gray this blurry line where I I just feel he's really it is really strongly feeding into that right wing sort of puritanical approach to all this where it's it just seems designed to shut down sex workers online in general. And I don't know I if you see it as a larger thing. That I see it as larger. Yes, I yeah. see it as not just right wing and not just. Sure. Yes, it is puritanical. Yes, it is right wing, but it's also a lot of people on the left, a lot of uh, you know, kind of anti-sex feminists mm-hmm. uh, want to shut down all porn. They just don't want any porn, you know. Uh, and I think this has been going on. I don't know, I guess since there's been porn, but there's, there, there's always, it, 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 you know what, in the old days, the really old days, like medieval times, uh, obscenity was the equivalent of blasphemy. It's yeah. like, okay, you know, it's all connected. And I think it's still connected, except we don't put it that way. And Absolutely. the left doesn't see it that way. But I think we should. I think we should see that that's really what it is. It's a, you know, this word morality. What what are you talking about here? I, I like the word ethics better than morality, because ethics is about, you know, do not do unto your neighbor what you would not have them do unto you, and morality is, uh, you know, do unto your neighbor what you would have them do unto you. But maybe your neighbor doesn't want that. Maybe you think it's great to have these anti-porn laws and you want to, quote unquote, protect your children because you don't like having sex conversations with them when they're curious about things. But maybe your neighbors aren't like that. And if it's not about consensuality, I mean, and if it's not about actually having sex with children, if it's not about 
some of these other truly violent things that are crimes, then uh, I think it's, uh, it is about a kind of religious morality. And I think that a lot of liberals and Democrats and so-called leftists fall into that mm. because they think they're being feminist. I, I don't know. It's funny. Sometimes I'll talk to some of these feminist um, anti-porn people, and when I bring up that it, it's also against gay people, they soften up a little bit. Like, oh, well, then maybe it's not so great to uh, censor porn if you're also hurting trans and gay people. Well, okay. <laughs> I mean, I agree with you, but uh, let's not penalize um, the, uh, you know, cis people and straight people just because they're cis and straight, you know. I mean, yeah, let's, let's be a little more open-minded about our sisters and brothers and everybody else. Yeah, and this just giving a little bit of details about the CISA Act, uh, what it was going to be is that it was supposed to mandate any sites that hosted pornographic content. It basically, would prohibit them from video downloads, um, which seems like most websites do. So I don't know how that would really go into effect. It, it also required them to set up a twenty-four hour hotline for people to remove video removals, and that's in of itself seems. Um, like a pretty tall order. I mean, like, no, it just seems like the resources to just perform a 24 hour hotline for any uh, porn site is just kind of a big deal to set up. So, yeah, it's just amazing to me the amount of money that I mean, and, and the, the bipartisanship. I mean, yeah, they Democrats and Republicans have differences on just about everything except giving the American military industrial complex and corporate billionaires tons of cash and censoring sexual speech that they can agree on yeah and um there's this twitter thread uh, there's it's by this person who writes for um daily dot her her handle is ac valence and mm. it, it she she re basically found this really long list of things that 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 it would restrict it would require any user uploading a video to the platform verify their identity which is obviously you know something that I guess sh should have already been in place before. Um, it requires platforms to use software to block a video from being re-uploaded after its removal. It, it directs the Federal Trade Commission to enforce violations of these requirements. Uh, it creates a database of individuals that have indicated they do not consent, um, which, I mean, I, I could, maybe these things maybe make sense to some people who are looking at this, but just, just obviously would just shut down most porn websites. If this passed, it's yeah, just and so let's, draconian. Let's look at one of those things that seems to make sense. Like um, you should uh, give your ID and make sure that we're verifying that this sure. is you and all your and, and all the information of any person that appears in your little clip. Well, okay, that's great, but then these people all have their ID and all their information and their address and their phone number uh, right online. And what if somebody hacks? Pornhub or one of the platforms, and then all that information gets out there. Uh, so it's a little dicey to put all your information on this platform. It's not necessarily a, a no-brainer. It's complicated. Yeah, and the, I mean, I have no love for people who are necessarily profiting off of these things. I mean, I, I like the idea that there are websites 
that can host, you know, that you can, you don't have to like have your own hosting platform to upload. If you're a sex worker, you can just upload your own stuff directly onto a website. I mean, that's sort of a great uh, avenue for sex workers, um, websites like OnlyFans and stuff like that. But I don't, you know, I, I'm sure that there's maybe some of this stuff about Pornhub is true, that they didn't have proper, in, you know, sort of internal, what do you call it, uh, monitoring or security measures and things like that. But it does it does sort of create this chilling effect and one other angle to this i just wanted to explore we don't have to go too deep into this because i know i said an hour and a half it's already been almost <laughs> an hour um but historically female sexuality has always been more repressed than male sexuality so maybe what i'm about to describe is just sort of an extension of that playing out in modern history but the uk you know, the, some of these websites that we've been talking about, like Pornhub, even websites like X Videos, and most of these video hosting websites actually have very specific restrictions on what types of uh, fetishes aren't allowed. So, like, uh, a lot of them won't even allow any urination uh, porn, for example. Like, most of them won't. Or squirting, yeah. which is, by the way, I'd like to just say for those of well, you who I was just are go uh, into, fetishes. Yeah. Squirting is not peeing, okay? Uh, but nothing wrong with a golden shower if everybody's consenting. Uh, you know, I don't feel there's anything wrong with that. But female ejaculation is is a form of ejaculation. It is something that is a sexual uh, fluid that comes forth that has a little bit of urine in it, but not very much. And it has female prostatic fluid in it. Uh, but yes, UK has forbid uh, female ejaculation, has forbid uh, face sitting. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it seems like a lot of but only female for female to male is is forbidden. Yes, male I mean, to a male female can face stick his cock into a woman's <laughs> mouth, but a woman can't like just queen a man. And what what what's wrong with that? Um, uh, you know, certain kinds of penetration aren't allowed. Spanking. I mean, that's not allowed in conjunction with sex. Um, fisting, you know, a lot of people do very loving fisting. It isn't necessary. I mean, I know it sounds like the word fisting sounds aggressive, but it doesn't have to be at all. Uh, and, and it is something that a, a lot of women like to do for penetration because they don't have a penis, so they, they use their hand. And, uh, and so, you know, this is very uh, misogynist, these rules. So, yeah, there's a lot of misogynistic uh, rules out there in, uh, in different anti-porn uh, places. And yet, I have to just add, there's also a lot of anti-male stuff going on. I mean, the allegations against Julian Assange were an example of that, um, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that I just cringed over when they happened in like 2010 or 11. And, uh, and I, I wasn't sure, did he really do this? Did he really rape somebody, um, rape two people? Uh, it turns out, well, that was kind of trumped up, so to speak, um, and I think, uh, you know, I think that we're all in danger. I don't think it's just women or just men. I think there are different ways in which uh, religious and, um, and let's just say self-righteous people go against sex in men and women and in trans people. Absolutely. 
And just so people know which uh, UK legislation we're talking about, it was called the Audiovisual Media Services Regulation Act of 2014. And among the things that you said that they banned, um, face-sitting, squirting, uh, female ejaculation, fisting, spanking, they also banned uh, whipping and verbal abuse. And so all those things together just seem like in essence, they're just trying to get rid of BDSM porn in any form. And then also menstruation, which is, you know, obviously inherently misogynistic oh, yeah. to ban that. But yeah. also most of the, the websites like Pornhub and from what I've seen, uh, they ban, they've banned most of those things to, from just being uploaded. I guess, you know, as someone who has produced and hosted something called Dr. Susie's Squirt Salon, Secrets of Female Ejaculation, mm. it, was that a film or a, a live workshop that you did at the... It was a live show that okay. I turned into a video that's, uh, yeah, one of my most popular videos still because I had uh, a lot of female ejaculators and uh, experts as well teaching women how to do it. Some women do it naturally and some women kind of have to learn. It's like a regular orgasm. I mean, some women do it naturally. I'm one of those women that had to learn. I had to read Betty Dodson's uh, Sex for One then called liberating masturbation in order to learn how to have an orgasm. So you see a lot of what is called porn is sex education. And uh, there's a, there's a kind of crossover there because when you're doing really good sex education, you got to show some things. You can't just use diagrams. And so, you know, that is especially important for women's pleasure. I think it's important for men too, but men tend to know how to ejaculate without having to learn uh, or have an orgasm. Um, But women tend to need some instruction as to how our bodies work. That's partly because society discourages us from exploring our bodies, but also because, yeah, uh, a lot of our apparatus is inside and a little bit mysterious. Yeah, and I mean, what you're talking about is seems like a vitally important thing to make available to people. Um, and essentially, according to this UK law, you wouldn't even be able to distribute something like what you produced. It's not, Correct. I, mean, I would not. And I, I, I think I'm not in <laughs> England. Although they have this funny rule there where you're not allowed to make it in England. Oh, got it. Yeah. But yeah, you could see it if it's online. So I sure. certainly have a lot of uh, clients and customers that um, that are in the UK and that uh, look at my squirt salons and other stuff. But I guess I feel bad for the Brits. They can't make it. They can only look at it. Veering back to our conversation about just these, you know, more recent obscenity laws that were passed in the UK. I mean, I don't think most people realize or have a general idea here that, and maybe it's just because of the seeming explosion of sort of American produced porn and the easy access to it, that the U.S. itself has some really vague and draconian laws about obscenity. And two two semi-famous porn producers, I guess one of them's fairly famous, you've had him on your show, you've met him, goes by the name Mm -hmm. Max Hardcore, another one, Mm -hmm. Rob Black, um, were both basically in, you know, the the law came after them. And I think the basically both of them were sort of swept up under this um, new sort of Bush era resurrection uh, of the war on porn, as it was called in around mm. 2005, um, 
called the Obscenity right. Prosecution Task Force. So, mm -hmm. and what this task force was basically doing is it was enforcing an already very, very vague and old law that had already been on the books federally, which is essentially that obscenity is, I'm reading this from the Justice Department's website, that obscenity is not protected under the First Amendment to free speech. And the U.S. court uses a three-pronged test commonly referred to as the Miller test to determine mm. if material is obscene. Obscenity is defined as anything that fits the criteria of the Miller test, which may include, for example, visual depictions, spoken words, or written text. That's Miller versus California of 1973. Is that the, the, the Supreme Court uh, deemed that uh, materials were obscene if they appealed to a prurient interest uh, and showed patently offensive sexual conduct, whatever that means. Yeah, <laughs> and that and that law is still in the books. And what's interesting is it's relegated to the states of how they want to interpret that law, and they've been given extreme yeah. leeway to do so. So, for example, um, you know, individual states like Utah, which is very, very Mormon. You know, the Mormons basically control the government in Utah. They use yeah, but let me just add. Pornhub oh, sure. says that Utah is one of the highest. Um, sure, that's exactly they, right. They watch they watch porn more than anybody. So oh, there you go. For sure, yeah. Speaking of the um the you know the repression, but they yeah. the Utah tried to use an, uh, the obscenity law as they interpret it to arrest a local video store guy for just screening some adult porn videos in his store. So mm. what's interesting oh, wow. is this law could be interpreted to just include any pornography. And that yeah. sort of, in a weird way, has defined where porn is produced in various states. Now, there are other laws on the books, obviously, that have you know dictate that. But this, in one way, has dictated where you know certain porn is being produced around the United States. So mm -hmm. I guess... I wanted you to speak a little bit about, you know, what you know about the Max Hardcore sort of trial, um, how he sort of got roped into that and like why, you know, people probably won't be producing, I would imagine, and maybe I'm wrong about this, so correct me if I am, that I would imagine people won't, aren't producing porn anymore in the United States that resembles what he was doing um, in, in some specific ways because of what happened to him. But if that, and I don't know if you agree with that, but um, go into what happened to him and, and like what, I don't know, some of the ins and outs of that legal case. Yeah, uh, I had him on my show right after he was released from uh, prison, uh, La Tuna Federal Prison, where he served almost three years. Um, Jesus. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not a big fan of his style of porn, actually. I don't like it at all. It's really gross. He has a lot of rainbow showers, or had. He doesn't do it anymore. But uh, where uh, somebody's basically vomiting. Uh, but I know I know people that say they like rainbow showers, not just watching, but doing. Now, maybe these people are bulimic, okay? But uh, let's just say that's kind of gross, but he would always get consent, had people sign things, uh, said that they w consented to certain acts. And, uh, and so I don't think it was anything about non-consensual activity. Although some of his, um, his, his actresses later said that they, they didn't like doing it. Maybe they said they were coerced, but they never really 
accused him of that. Uh, they mm-hmm. accused him. Uh, what he what he was in prison for was because he sold a video to somebody in Florida who happened yeah. to be a police officer. Yep. And th- that police officer was there to entrap him. And uh, not to say he didn't sell other videos to states, people in states where maybe it was less legal than in other states. But uh, this was a particular uh, trap for him. And uh, and they got him. And it was, um, I think, for golden showers, maybe for the rainbow showers. Uh, it was not for anything about non-consensuality. It was for grossness, for things that, yeah. I think are gross too, but some people like them and they were, uh, they were consenting. Uh, yeah, he does. He did have the girls dressed up to look like they were underage with pigtails, uh, and little schoolgirl outfits, but they were all over 18. Um, when I had him on my show, Bonnie Rotten was there and they met and they had this wild affair and she did some stuff with him and then she later decided she didn't like him. Um, I, I don't want to actually speak to that, what, what she decided, but, uh, but she did on the show, I will say this, she fisted his longtime sweetheart, Layla Rivera, uh, who sang almost the entire Star Spangled Banner through a ball gag. And, uh, you know, I mean, let's just say some of this stuff is so silly and funny. I don't know. I, I, I just I, I find that an entertainment value as long as everybody's consenting uh, and humiliation and that kind of thing is so subjective. Um, some some people just enjoy being pushed, having their boundaries pushed a little. And if they're consenting, I think it's okay. Uh, I mean, uh, and, and so I feel Max Hardcart, he's a nice guy to me anyway. Uh, so I, I, I like him as a person. I happen not to like the pornography he did. I think he was, uh, he was entrapped, and I think he's a bit of a martyr for uh, the pornography industry. Everybody abandoned him. Uh, a lot of people accused him of things that he never did. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, I kind of, you know, that's my take on that. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I didn't realize Glenn Greenwald actually had written about this case in back in 2008. Oh. Um, and this is oh, I, one I, interesting thing he said about it. He said that even though Max Hardcore lived and worked in California, the, the Bush DOJ dragged him to Tampa, Florida in order to try him under Tampa's community yeah. standards. Yeah. On the theory that I guess his website used servers physically based in Central Florida. Oh. So that's it's interesting, you know, to think of that he was potentially just made an example of by this whatever yeah. this, you know, and he was maybe probably the most high profile person to be made an example of. I guess they tried to do this to some Bukaki producer in the United States and mm-hmm. it and it failed. And I don't know if they're mm-hmm. talking about Rob Black, actually, in this article, but I know Rob Black also went to prison. I don't know the details of his case. Rob Black, I think it was more because he did videos depicting rape scenes. Kidnapping that they were all consenting, yeah. but they'd have, like, kidnapping and that kind of thing. Uh, so that's what he was taken in for, and I know he made a deal. So... Who knows what a jury might have decided because I think he made a deal. But uh, but Max Hardcore, he he fought 
till the end, and then he served. And I guess just the last question I'll ask you about that is what kind of boundaries do you think or like chilling effect do you think that those cases may have had in the the porn industry itself after that? I mean, I know there's been a lot of things that have created different chilling effects in the adult industry. Mm-hmm. I think even like the Tracy Lords thing, you know, created a, probably some form, you know, chilling effect and had some repercussions of a, a lot of them. It seems like this probably did too. And I, I guess I just, I'm not sure how it played out. Um, and maybe you have some insight into how it might have. Well, it's, it's, you know, chilling effect is always kind of vague. It's a slow chill, you know. Uh, and I, I think that all kinds of videos are always getting made. You know, people make videos in the privacy of their closet. Mm-hmm. So they they make all kinds of things, and uh, so I I think if if you want to make a video like that, you make it. But the the more mainstream porn people don't do controversial stuff like that now. No, and uh, and I think that you know it kind of uh, coincided with this uh, kind of tendency to get into these. Uh, porn parodies became the big thing at that point. Uh, and nothing wrong with porn parodies, but they tend to be not investigating these, these wild fetishes so much. I think people did get scared of investigating wild fetishes. And, uh, and I, I think there's a lot of... I, I, I mean, I can't say they're not done because I see you know, constantly grown women portraying themselves as young girls. And honestly, I don't see much wrong with that. I mean, I say much because there could be something wrong with it. But in general, people like to play. They like to pretend that they're this or that. And, uh, you know, that that's another thing is you're not supposed to do incest videos. And we're not talking about real fathers and daughters or mothers and sons or brothers and sisters. We're talking about just people pretending to be that. Yeah. You're not supposed to do that. That's one of the uh, big things Christoph com- conflates in his article too that annoyed me is he, mm. he conflated real incest with like simulate, you know, pretend. And it's just yeah. like, come on, man. Like that's such a big, <laughs> it's a huge difference there. I mean, let's just say <laughs> all the Trumpers think of Trump as their daddy. Is that yeah. an incest fantasy? Yes, it is. Uh, there's a lot of uh, incest fantasies that go on, partly because, you know, it's just very natural, and partly because society makes it so taboo. But in any case, uh, there, you know, people in porn are always uh, kind of walking a fine line with a blindfold. They don't know what's okay and what's not okay. And uh, And so, you know, the Max Hardcore case is just one example of somebody being punished hard so that they know if I step outside the line, I could get punished like Max Hardcore. But where is the line? Is it that he did rainbow showers? Is it that he did golden showers? Is it that the girls looked young? Is it that he humiliated them, seemed to humiliate them? They acted humiliated? Is it that tears were streaming down their face when 
they were giving a blowjob? Is it the yellow couch that was so obnoxious? I mean, <laughs> what is it? You know, it, it and and uh, and people in porn are constantly in a in the dark about that. Yeah, it's very it's it, it's very interesting to think about because. I think I, I just don't think most people have any ideas how vague that these that these laws are and how they could be applied. I mean, and we don't have too much time left, Susan. So I I wanted to touch on this subject you brought up with me of the difference between greed and lust. Mm, okay. Well, the difference. Okay. <laughs> or not necessarily the uh, difference, but but the, the these concepts yeah. and how you see perceive yeah. them. Yeah, well, I think that, uh, you know, I like lust better than greed. Let's start with that. Uh, lust is a natural instinct for all of us. Uh, I think even people that portray themselves as asexual can lust for a thing, maybe, or it's just desire, and it's, it's desire for usually touch or maybe seeing something, uh, being sexual in some way or erotic in some way. Uh, and this is, is so basic. It's, it's like um, every, every other animal, and humans are animals, experiences lust. We all do. And yes, lust can be bad. You can, your lust can get out of control, and you could rape somebody. Your lust can get out of control, and you can uh, coerce a child into having sex. Lust can be very bad. But usually it's it's good and or at least okay, and uh, and it's natural. Then we come to greed. Greed also seems to be an instinct, but I don't think it is. I kind of go to our close cousins. Uh, speaking of animals, um, we are animals. We are also apes. We humans. Um, even though I know that people on the right and the left don't like to hear that humans are apes, but science does tell us that we are an ape. And our closest cousins, the bonobos, who are my inspiration and also my cause, save the bonobos, they're highly endangered. Uh, uh, bonobos show us how natural lust is, and maybe, you know, they're 98 point something percent genetically similar to us, and they are, they are having sex almost all day long, some form of sex, uh, and they're very pansexual. They have sex with, you know, the, the males and the females, the females and the females and the males and the males, and it all seems to uh, help to make them very peaceful. There's never been a bonobo scene killing another bonobo in the wild or captivity. It seems that they make peace through pleasure, when they get in a in that state where they're conflicted, where they're uh, ready to hurt each other, they might hurt each other for a little while, and then they start to have sex. They they kind of channel it into a form of sex. They're also uh, kind of matriarchal, female empowered might be another word, and you might think the males would resent that, but the males are very happy about it. In fact, they uh, stay younger, longer, and have uh, a less stressful life than their common chimp counterparts. So, uh, so you got happy males and empowered females, and peace through pleasure in this uh, world of of apes that are extremely close to us. And, uh, and so lust kind of rules in Bonoboville. Um, and greed does not. In addition to all these other qualities, they share resources. Uh, and when anybody, you know, might find uh, some 
particularly great food, whether they, uh, they're not vegetarians, by the way, they do kill little animals and eat them. And, uh, and so, you know, they, uh, they, they would share that. They, they wouldn't just eat it all by themselves. And when they find a bunch of fruit, they call the others. Now, the females tend to decide who gets to eat first and how much you get, but everybody gets to eat. Nobody gets denied. And so there's not greed in, uh, in the bonobo world. And I think that these are natural tendencies for most humans. I think that it's mainly our corrupt leaders uh, who convince us that lust is bad and greed is good. I think that um, back in prehistoric times, if you look into what we know, uh, it, it seems there was a lot of sex going on in all different directions, and not a lot of, uh, of, of uh, accumulating wealth. First of all, people you know, were moving all the time. We were hunter-gatherers. I think that's still in our nature, to be hunter-gatherers, why we like shopping. But uh, we, we like to move around and, and find what we want. And we don't, you know, when you're hunter-gatherer, you can't, you can't uh, accumulate more than you can carry. But eventually, uh, some humans, probably women, but who knows, discovered that you plant some seeds and, oh, my goodness, you can, you know, have a farm. And now that you can have a farm, you need to stay in that land and you need to own that land because otherwise, you know, what good is it that you're working this farm? So they started to own property. And once you own property, some other people, you know, who are just the old kind of hunter-gatherers uh, will be moving through your land and possibly picking your crops, and you don't want that. So you got to get people to guard your crops. You start with guarding them, but it becomes too much for you and your family, so you get other people to guard them. You pay them, and then you got an army. So lo and behold, you get uh, all this comes from the agricultural revolution, I think, that went on like 12,000 years ago. And, uh, and then you get greed. Greed becomes very important. And lust becomes something important to control. Because if you're going to have a farm, you, you know you're going to die. And you don't want to leave it to just everybody. You've got to leave it to your children. You want to feel that at least you worked so hard in your life that, you know, you're your greedy little accumulation is going to go to an extension of yourself. So you want to know who your children are. Bonobos, the fathers don't know. Everybody's a, an uncle. Uh, probably among early human hunter-gatherers, they didn't, the, fa- the, the men didn't know who, who was the father of who. But as they discovered how to plant seeds, they also discovered hey, it's not just like all the guys that have sex with this woman contribute to her baby like used to be thought and actually is still thought by some uh, tribes, but it's one guy. It's one sperm. They didn't know about sperm, but they knew one guy is the father. And once they knew that, they start saying, well, wait a second, we got to control lust. And yes, first they start controlling the lust of the women, but then they got to control the lust of the men too because you don't want men uh, interfering with your wife or your harem or whatever you've got. So the women become chattel, the children become, you know, extensions of yourself. 
and I don't think any of this is natural for us. I think this is why we struggle so much with it. I think what's natural is for us to be hunter-gatherers. I'm not saying we're, we should go back to hunter-gathering. You know, I, I'm myopic myself, and I would bump into a tree and die. But I, I do think we need to recognize that our natural human tendency is to be like our hunter-gatherer ancestors, that uh, we were like that for, I don't know, some say 100,000 years before we got into this farming mentality that also translated into greed and into accumulation and, I think, into uh, a military mindset. Because uh, although I think early humans, the prehistoric humans, they, did, they were violent to other animals in order to eat them, um, uh, and they would often uh, be, you know, they would cooperate in order to maybe bring down a, a woolly mammoth or something like that. Uh, they didn't kill each other that often. Uh, there's not too much evidence that they did. Uh, they started killing each other when they had something to fight over, when they had a uh, limited amount of food, when they had limited amount of land, when they had limited amounts of wealth. And then you have to fight, and then you have to kill, and then you have to follow the orders to fight and kill of the rich guy who's paying you. And, uh, and then greed becomes a virtue, you know, like uh, that Gordon Gecko said, greed is good. Well, greed is good in our society under capitalism, under extreme capitalism. You know, greed is great. And lust, well, lust, we got to really, like, sort of restrict that as much as possible. We don't want these women running around getting impregnated by, by other people. We don't want these men being gay because if the men are gay, then they're not focusing all their sexual energy on just procreating and the rest of their sexual energy on being violent soldiers. I think it was some Roman emperor who, who understood that, and he forbid the soldiers from even getting married because he said, you know, if, you, if you're having sex, you don't want to kill people so much. And he was right. Uh, I, 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 but, uh, you know, I myself feel that, yes, if our society wants to survive and if, if we as humans want to be sustainable, we need to focus more of our marvelous energy into lust and make like bonobos, not baboons. Uh, not that baboons are greedy either, uh, but um, make like bonobos, not um, greedy billionaires. And, <laughs> uh, and, and honor lust more. Uh, acknowledge that it can be bad. It can get out of control. It can sometimes be bad. But greed is always bad. It's bad for the people that don't get the wealth. And it's bad for the people that get the wealth because they're constantly paranoid that somebody's going to steal it from them. Oh, that's such a beautiful breakdown. I love it, Susan. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on Media Roots. Well, thank you, Robbie. We, we definitely Boy, need to do it again. you're almost as much fun as your sister. <laughs> no, I mean, I had her in person, and Abby Martin is just one of my heroines. Uh, in in the world um, and uh, and now you're catching up with her this has been a lot of fun thank you so much Susan it was great chatting with you Abby, do you like my dress you know I think the color pink suits my complexion. hello this is Robbie again 
I seem to always pop in at the end like this now on these podcasts. But I'm just here to remind you that we have a Patreon page where if you subscribe for as little as $5 a month, you get access to our one bonus episode per month, our premium episode, Premium Media Roots Radio Content. And this bonus episode this month is going to be an exclusive episode with Abby and I, post-mortem of Trump, our reflections on the election, what Biden's going to be like, all that stuff. So if you want to hear that, subscribe to Media Roots Radio at patreon.com slash Media Roots Radio. We also continue our premium content, the Freemasonic History of the United States series on Media Roots Radio, and part six of that series will come out in February. Thanks. <laughs>